that's what the Appalachian Impact Fund does so well. I mean, it's been there for small businesses through COVID throughout Eastern Kentucky. It's been there through the flooding and, you know, the backbone of kind of working through the Community Foundation, which is the foundation for Appalachian Kentucky, is a great harmony. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. Welcome back, Appalachia Meets World. It's Will. And Neil, what's happening? A lot. How about you? Busy up there in your neck of the woods? It is, man. It is. School's starting back. Th- things are happening. How about you? Same here, man. Getting ready for that first day of school. Changing gears with the kids, the different sports, and chickens are finally laying eggs, man. Oh, yeah. oh have we talked about your chicken? Yeah. Uh, we, we, we. I think briefly we mentioned, mentioned my chickens on an episode, but so you got you got your those, first egg. Yeah, for those that don't know, it takes about seven months to get an egg from a brand new baby chick. So we went through the whole process, and my oldest is uh, he, he made flyers today to put in all of our neighbors' mailbox, and uh, the flyers read "Fresh eggs for sale, four dollars a dozen." Please call or text Maddox Warren at with my phone number on it. So this can't <laughs> nice. be this can't be good. <laughs> nice. You got a budding budding entrepreneur there. Oh yeah, for need sure. To get him on the show. I think he's listened to a couple episodes. He's he's trying to create his own ecosystem. I think. Nice, nice. <laughs> so, did you try the eggs? We did. The very first one we did, we uh, we cracked it, fried it, and uh, me and him ate it. You know, they say the first couple are, you know, not that good, but I don't even know if you're supposed to eat the first one technically, but we did. <laughs> it's like it's like don't drink the first snow. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't eat the first egg. Yeah, exactly. So we uh, – Oh, you're still here. You're alive. Still, yeah, we live, we live to tell about it. You know, I'm sure my house will just be hopping with with uh, people trying to buy eggs here here shortly. So nice, nice. I guess that's pretty much where you from segment. Oh yeah. I was going to just say I, I I heard something today on Inside Appalachia. You ever listen to that? You know, we've been we've been talking about that. We, we've mentioned it a couple times, and I yeah. Have. Inside so Inside Appalachia is it's radio, but they also have the show or I don't know if you call it a podcast but in anyway I listened to it just today a little bit of it they were talking about they had a segment on about the the eastern Kentucky the floods in eastern Kentucky you know yeah. it happened four months ago but, yeah. but the struggles that are still still going on there I, I just thought about that you know when, when the the floods first happened all these philanthropic organizations got together and, and, you know, you could send your donations in and a lot of people were donating to the relief in Eastern Kentucky. I know Tyler Childers, several people uh, had concerts to, to help support foundation for Appalachia, Kentucky had, had direct access where you could donate and fund the support. But, but the thing is, we know this from the flood that we went through when we were kids, the flood of 76 i was flood that you went through bro <laughs> come on <laughs> yeah that's true so in pineville for those of the listeners that don't know pineville in 76 had a flood 14 feet over the entire city 
I know the, the rebuild there took, it wasn't just let's do it now. It took years and years. I remember being in middle school and the heaters still having flood mud in them every winter when they turned the heaters on, you could, you know, you could smell the flood mud. So it's not just a instant rebuild. I mean, it takes years and years to help uh, these communities out and, and philanthropy is just one way that you can do it. But why I wanted to mention that is that we have someone on the episode tonight, Brooke Smith, who has partnered with the Foundation for Appalachia, Kentucky to organize what they refer to as the Appalachia Impact Fund. For the listeners that don't know, the Foundation for Appalachia, Kentucky is kind of innovative in the way they do their funding. They do it from the ground up, which a lot of philanthropies don't do. Say that three times quickly. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) But they have organized it in a way where where they focus on the communities first and the organizations in the communities and let those communities decide where the funding needs to go and how it needs to be used, which I think is a very innovative and creative way to to do it. And that's part of what this impact, Appalachian Impact Fund does, which Brooke will talk about on the episode, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to Brooke, man. He's, uh, I don't know, I guess somebody that I admire and look up to. He's done a lot of great things and continues to do great things and uh, all throughout Appalachia, not just Eastern Kentucky, just all over. Yeah, so excited and curious just to hear a little bit about his background and why he's so involved in Eastern Kentucky. I know he is uh, originally from Louisville, but he he has deep ties to, to the mountains and and I'm just interested to hear his involvement and his passion for Appalachia. Yeah, the last city slicker we we let infiltrate these parts out of Louisville married our sister. So uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's Brooke, true. Brooke for ideas that ain't happening. She's taking. <laughs> uh, anyway, shout out to our uh, esteemed brother-in-law, uh, Hoss. Mr. Hostetler. Yeah. What do you want to mention? I'm sorry. No, no. I I just wanted to mention in regards to philanthropic funding and kind of this paradigm shift that that we've seen with funders of getting away from just the one-offs, getting away from community development and kind of getting into economic development and more focus on this ground up approach. Um, I know that a lot of the foundations around Eastern Kentucky, around that area, uh, all of Appalachia have formed what they call the Appalachian Funders Network, which is a really cool organization that brings all the foundations and all the funding partners together, both private and public. I think they have several pillars that they organize around. Some of them were, were focusing on the communities, like I said, a ground up approach, They work across sectors, meaning they get uh, different public and private people on board. They clarify their shared values, meaning that they all try to focus on the same things. And so they pull their resources in a way that aligns with the community's value, which I think is really an awesome way to organize, an awesome way to have much more or greater impact for the value of what they do couldn't agree more man let's shout at brooke and get him going here all right let's get him on here let's go we have on the episode tonight 
Brooke Smith. He is the president of Smith Manus, a surety bond company. He has spent several decades in the financial sector providing surety bonds on behalf of construction and the mining industry throughout central Appalachia. Along with that, he is a businessman and a philanthropist. He has his hands in a lot of different things, which I won't get into, but one of the things that we're going to talk about tonight is the Appalachian Impact Fund. And I just want to welcome Brooke and say, Brooke, thanks for, thanks for being on the show. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you with us. Well, absolutely. I'm glad you guys are doing this. It's important content, and um, I don't miss many of these opportunities. So thank you. One of the reasons why Neil and I do the show, we kind of talked about this uh, previously, but is really to just dispel some of the misconceptions of Appalachia. But one of the things that we ask all our guests kind of kick off the show Appalachia is big on on traditions and our family, Neil and I families, we're big on tradition too. And one of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays, big spread of appetizers over the holidays. We usually have more appetizers than the actual meal, but we wanted to ask you just to kick it off. Do you have a favorite appetizer or favorite holiday dish? Uh, What sounds like the ones that you're serving. Um, Let me think back. So, you don't want anything he serves. You want what my mom cooks. Uh, yeah, you. I just eat them. I just okay, eat them. Okay, well, here's one for you that's kind of uh, apropos for this conversation. I spent a lot of time in, in eastern Kentucky, Appalachia in general. Uh, love, love everything about the area, the region, the people. And I, I, I probably spent, gosh, I don't know, maybe 100 nights in the landmark in, in uh, Pikeville. And um, I would go to the log cabin, and they had an appetizer that always kind of uh, – you let me know I was in the region and I enjoyed a, a bacon wrapped water chestnut with a toothpick through it that would be dipped in cocktail sauce. And that sounds a little odd, but um, you think it's odd after you fire down about a dozen of those suckers. So, um, <laughs> so there's an appetizer for you nice. that, uh, that I always enjoyed. I haven't been to log cabin in a while and through COVID and everything else. I'm not even sure yeah. it's still there, but it was the, it was the place in, in Pikeville without question. Nice, nice. I, I tell you, you had me at bacon. You could have stopped. I would have no question. <laughs> Since we have that out of the way, you mentioned the Appalachian region and you are uh, from Louisville, but can you talk a little bit about your background and as well as your history with Appalachia and the region? Absolutely. Um, because I'm assuming that most folks that are on your show uh, grew up in different, you know, Eastern Kentucky counties. I grew up in the county outside of Louisville, Oldham County, and at the time it was very rural. Uh, I went to a countywide high school and I lived on the far end of the county uh, down in the valley where we really didn't even have TV reception. So a lot of those shows before cable that people relate to that are in my genre, uh, I wasn't watching them. I was out in the woods. In fact, I was going to be a naturalist. I was studying, you know, things that I could entertain myself with like snakes and frogs and trees. And so um, when I started traveling to, to Eastern Kentucky, mainly to talk to folks about, you know, my, my profession, which is surety bonds. Uh, they're needed anywhere and everywhere by construction companies to guarantee performance of payment and mining operations, obviously, to guarantee reclamation. That's what it first started bringing me to Eastern Kentucky was instead of just being someone that would ride a 50-mile radius around Louisville and knock on doors, I decided to go uh, to a beautiful part of the state, and I'd get up in the morning at 530 and drive down uh, Mountain Parkway or wherever I might be headed to London Corbin, and, um, you know, reach out and talk to companies, uh, construction companies, kind of uh, kneel near you there in London. I uh, was making cold calls on Hacker Brothers, which is a big uh, kind of general contractor. Mm-hmm. And uh, my hair was shorter then. My face was uh, more babyfied. 
And I think after a while, these folks got kind of tired of me knocking on their door and they, they started to give me an opportunity. Uh, by then, I'd learned enough to get the job done. And what I didn't know, I asked folks that did. And so um, I did pick up relationships with construction companies like Hacker Brothers that I still bond to this day after several decades, working with, you know, bridge builders and, and utility company contractors and GCs and all, all shapes and sizes. And then, of course, the ability to get the coal companies the reclamation bonds that they needed. Quickly, I was spending a lot of time in eastern Kentucky, a lot of time in my car. And along the way, I'd stop off at different places to find little restaurants or things that were interesting that, you know, kind of are the soul of Appalachia, whether it be a place that's got, you know, great bean soup in Boonesville or somewhere maybe up near Ashland that would have maybe a, a drive-in that I could get, a, you know, a milkshake or, or there in, in Corbin, I could, you know, that one drive-in that has the incredible hot dogs and, and root beer stand. Root beer. You got it, root beer stand. So I always tried to work hard and not really, I guess, play hard, but play, play interestingly. So that's, that's what kind of brought me from Louisville. Uh, I did, did have Jefferson County on my license plate, and that really wasn't that big a deal. I mean, people think, you know, you go into eastern Kentucky and, you know, you're just a city, you know, dweller and, you know, what are you here for and what do you want? And I understand that the same way that uh, someone would look at anybody else coming in their neighborhood. So, um, but I, I, I got past that quick. I made a lot of friends. Uh, you know, with me, it's kind of what you see is what you get. And that's a great thing about Appalachia. And that's why I think it, it meshed so well for me. You know, what you see is what you get. I, I mentioned the Appalachian Impact Fund, and, and we'll get into that. You are the founder of, you and your wife are the founder of the Appalachian right. Impact Fund. And it is actually housed in the Foundation for Appalachia, Kentucky. And we'll talk about the importance of that in a minute as well. Right. But one I'm, of the proud, things, I'm really proud of that. Yep. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned the Louisville license plate and sometimes outsiders get a raw deal in Appalachia for, for sometimes for good reason. No question. No question about that. Sometimes not. Most people but we also the have, and done nothing but a lot of taking. So I understand it. it. And, you know, we also have our challenges. There's a breadth of opportunities in the region as well. What made you want to uh, invest in the region and its people and what qualities kind of, kind of drew you to Appalachia? You already mentioned a few, but, really what made you want to invest in the region or give back? Well, um, you know, I'd spent many years working with folks uh, all over Eastern Kentucky, West Virginia, but primarily Southeastern Kentucky. And uh, I'd made a good living doing that. Um, I'd grown my business and it was certainly the foundation of my business. I started working with people in all states and private equity firms and all these other folks that would look at me when I'd show up in their conference room in Manhattan from Kentucky and ask me why I was there. But, you know, you can get past that if you, if, if you just deliver, right? So bottom line is I had, had made a good living and um, actually grown some, some businesses. Because I had some good fortune, the first thing that I wanted to do was to come back to the region that didn't have, you know, maybe that same break or that same good fortune where I had made a living. And so um, it wasn't really a, a thought. It was more of a responsibility, um, and I feel this way uh, about a lot of things, to, to give back and to help people help themselves, not just write checks, but actually think thoughtfully about, well, you know, what is it that's catalytic for anyone anywhere, and in particular, Eastern Kentucky, to just, you know, to, to help folks, I don't know, they, they, you've heard this analogy, you know, don't buy someone a fish, buy them a pole and teach them how to fish, right? And, and, and that's great, and that's fulfilling, and there's a lot of fish down in Eastern Kentucky. So we set up this fund, uh, what happens a lot of times in areas, rural areas, places like Eastern Kentucky is, Everybody kind of sits back in their 
you know, in their easy chair, watches some documentary or goes to some cocktail party, talks to somebody from somewhere and wants to feel good about doing something. But the reality is the money comes in and globs, it gets misappropriated. It has strings attached. There's always agendas. And so what I was hoping to do was to set up a, a fund that did a, a combination of things, everything from uh, loan making, grant making, you know, wherever there was just some grease that could get the wheel moving, but, but bring in, you know, try to bring in larger sums of money. But first it was just my wife and I writing checks, but now we've attracted a lot of money and, and, and I give credit to, to um, everyone that's involved in, in the foundation for Appalachian Kentucky and the Appalachian Impact Fund. That's a lot of words, but the reality is we were able to kind of create the funnel, put the money in the funnel uh, and, and elbow grease and connect the right people and disperse it through a whole bunch of small kind of pipelines, like 5,000 here, a thousand there, or, Hey, if you, if you can get 25,000, then there's a match of 25,000 through this program. Well, that sure makes sense. Let's get some leverage off the money we're putting together. Uh, and then little things, uh, if you'll bear with my ramble a bit longer, you know, we work with community centers that are the backbone of these small rural communities that, you know, during the summers when the kids are out of school and they don't have a lunch, they rely on these community centers. I think it was Cowan Creek, which is outside of Whitesburg, I believe, and I could have these names wrong and I don't mean any disrespect if I do, but we saw they were lined up to, uh, they asked for a grant from the fund. They were going to do some great work with it. And they also, you know, could qualify for other grants based on our funding. But one thing that they, they hadn't done in a while was just a kind of a basic financial statement. And so we said, look, we're going to give you half the money. And we want you to use some of that to go ahead and get a financial statement done. Because if you do, you'll qualify for all these other things. And then once you do and you produce that financial statement, it's not really homework, but yet kind of is. And then we'll give you the rest of this grant. And that's exactly what they did. And because of that, they unlocked a whole bunch of things that help all facets of that little community there, whether it be food ways, child care. Uh, they have a music component, which is very respected. And so it's like, just put, you know, a little extra thought in things when you're pulling the, you know, kind of some of these economics together. And that's what the Appalachian Impact Fund does so well. I mean, it's been there for small businesses through COVID throughout Eastern Kentucky. It's been there through the flooding and, you know, the backbone of kind of working through the community foundation, which is the foundation for Appalachian Kentucky is a great harmony. So uh, there's kind of a nutshell on, you know, the game plan, the thought, but, you know, of all the things that I've been involved with and the people that I've worked with, I guess I'd almost say that I'm proudest of the uh, accomplishments of Appalachian Impact Fund and all that type of work, to be honest. Yeah, that, that is awesome. I know a little <laughs> bit about foundation and, and, and the work that they do, especially in regards to kind of the unique perspective that, that they have in regards to a foundation. They really go at it from a bottom-up approach. They let the communities that already have projects in place or, or that, uh, you know, are building up, they, they u- utilize the money to help communities build what they're already working on. Uh, no question. My no understanding. Question. And that's that's a very unique approach when it comes to foundations, when it comes to community development or economic development in that regard. And it really works with your fund. Can you- Yeah, another example would be in Hazard. You know, we work with the housing authority there. They have an incredible program for folks that have been dealing with, you know, opioid challenges. They come out, they get into the housing authority. They're actually out there working on building things, which is, you know, great therapy for all of us that are dealing with anything that's in our head. You know, the folks that are looking at maybe being able to qualify for a home, 
you know, they have to get their other finances kind of in order. And there's a lot of folks that prey on people that live paycheck to paycheck. It's not an easy existence for any of us, really. And there is a, a, an organization there called Redbud Financial um, that would help people kind of get, you know, just a leg up, maybe just a little money alone that would help them get out of that cycle of living, you know, kind of from the payday loan world, which is just so predatory. You know, Appalachian Impact Fund, again, there in some small way, doing a lot of amazing work. And the reality is, if you don't hear about some of the things that the Appalachian Impacts Fund doing, that's just okay, because that means we're getting to the folks that we need to in the smaller kind of situations, instead of trying to just, you know, read about ourselves in some local newspaper. That's what it does, to be honest. You know, accolades and, and things like that, you know, it's all a waste of time unless it, unless it will attract, you know, more folks that see it and get it and will fund it. No question about that. But beyond that, it's just noise. Yeah, definitely what we're trying to do here is like like we talked about gas up Appalachia, but also gas up what you're trying to do in Appalachia with the Appalachian Impact Fund. And and I know the foundation kind of refers to it as social impact investing. Can yep. you uh, talk about that term and, and how it's important? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a vogue term. Um, there's a lot of things right now that people are responding to in our world uh, because they feel like they need to. Maybe it's more they have to. But the reality is, you know, if you can't find something of value in a product or service or anything that you're engaged in, then it's, it's, it's not the right product or service. I mean, we, we all have to um, look at creating value, you know, beyond just a balance sheet income statement. And so what social impact investing means to me is, you know, first of all, have some, some responsibility to the community that you're in as a part of your you know, your, the pillars on which any business is built. Some businesses, uh, services, they are really focused on, you know, their product or service is something that is community centric. You know, we're thoughtful folks and, you know, we want to buy products and services from people that actually care about the people that work in their companies and where they sell their products and services. You know, those are all things that are important. And then if you can create jobs in certain areas, it's worth the effort because, you know, one job changes uh, a lot of folks' lives and it changes perception. It creates, you know, hope where there hadn't been hope. I think that you're seeing, in the way I refer to it as, as it specifically relates, relates to Eastern Kentucky, is if we can set a whole bunch of little fires, then we can create the glow, right? That's a great answer. I, I, I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit about how how people, uh, I don't know if it, the right term is apply for the funds, but how they contact the, the Appalachian Impact Fund and what type of investments do you make? Do you have criteria or, or anything in that regard? Yeah, it's a real simple process. Uh, the director is a, an, a force of nature named Laura Smith, who's, uh, you know, her and her brother, uh, Matt, they grew up in Eastern Kentucky. But what we've tried to do with the Appalachian Impact Fund is keep it pretty simple. We, we have the ability to make smaller grants, you know, a few thousand dollars, maybe I think it's $5,000 kind of on a discretionary basis, which we do regularly without a kind of a board meeting. So that keeps it streamlined. But um, there's a process you go through where you got to fill out a little, you know, a few forms, but n nothing that's too complicated just to kind of say, you know, you know, what's your organization? What are you trying to do? Uh, the questions are, are pretty focused on, you know, get to the root of, you know, this makes sense. Um, and it's a good process, I think, for anybody to think about themselves when they go through it. It's pretty straightforward. You know, I got to remember what our website is, uh, AppalachianImpactFund.org, maybe. I, I should know that. I'm sorry, I don't off the top of my head. But if you Google Appalachian Impact Fund, you'll find your way there. And you can, you can certainly go through a process 
And, you know, we're hoping to have, you know, more money, more people to, to support, you know, more good causes, organizations, ideas, thoughts, businesses, you name it. So you talked about having more people. How does someone get involved with the Appalachian Impact Fund if they wanted to, to give to it, for instance? Well, you know, we are constantly evolving our board. We have a lot of folks from within the region or folks that have ties to Eastern Kentucky or, you know, even some that, that are just, they, they see the value in it and they have expertise that can help, you know, uh, add bad bandwidth. If someone were to want to put even just their time into something and say, hey, you know, what's something that you guys are funding that needs, you know, some elbow grease, you know, we can, we can connect anyone that has an interest in helping an organization in Eastern Kentucky to, uh, to that organization. And, and, you know, it's, it's not all about just money. It's about time and energy too, you know? And, and is that for nonprofit organizations, but is it also for small business? Yeah. We, you know, we have kind of evolved a bit of an entrepreneurial component, which I think is good. Uh, as a balance between just grant making where we will make some small loans and we'll work with uh, organizations like Mason that are in the business of small loans. You know, we try to partner up with these folks, you know, we've been involved in, I've been involved in, you know, pitch contests and invest 606, which has got a whole heck of a lot of steam. Uh, we've, we've partnered, you know, through those guys and Jeff Marietta to, you know, get some of our funds out to a lot, a lot of small businesses and small loans. Uh, and I can tell you, I've seen the entrepreneurial community in Eastern Kentucky develop significantly over the last couple of years. The pitch contests are getting better and better. It's pretty amazing. And I think you'll see going forward that the fund will have more of this kind of entrepreneurial component to it. Yeah, that, that is, yeah, I've, I've seen the same thing throughout Eastern Kentucky, throughout Appalachia in general, just this, this fire for entrepreneurial support and, and entrepreneurial growth. Some of the first investments were to the black and indigenous people of color. I know that's important for the Appalachian Fund, and that's not something that we we touched on. But can you talk about that just just briefly? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there's so many ethnicities that are woven into and races that are woven into the hills of eastern Kentucky. It's not just a bunch of hillbillies. It's not it. There's a whole lot of Italians that came in that were great masons that you know uh, did a whole bunch of things to build some of the different buildings. And, you know, there's an Italian culture in Eastern Kentucky, the African-American black community, a backbone in so many ways, but, you know, their role in, in the coal industry and, and so many other things, an amazing part of the fabric and something that I'm learning about more and more all the time. You know, people coming from big cities that, that set up some of these places like in Heinemann, the settlement schools and things like that. You know, I mean, it's just a, it's a mashup of all of these different cultures and, and the black culture is a big part of the region and, and, and there's a lot to say about it and it's it's important to us to continue to pull back layers and learn about how this this for lack of a better word this quilt's been put together uh with the work that we do and keep it in balance it's super important and we're going to reflect that in our board and we're going to reflect that in the the things that we support I wanted to talk about one, one other thing. I, I know we've mentioned before you have your hands in a lot of different things, but one of those things is somewhere Appalachia. And if people don't know about that, can you talk about that a little bit? Just just describe what it is and what you're trying to do in Eastern Kentucky. Yeah, because um, it's a little bit more complicated. It's a, bit more, a little bit more of a moonshot, right? So you got to get your blocking and tackling done first, your foundation, just your, you got to grind it out before you start talking about, you know, bigger picture things. But at the same time, you have to kind of run day to day 
support of folks, causes, organizations while you try to hit kind of this bigger shot. And Summer Appalachia is a concept that's starting to become a reality. I am fascinated by how uh, places develop themselves without ruining themselves. Uh, I've looked around the country and around the world. I'm interested in things like contemporary art because it's challenging. I, I don't have a background in art history, but it's fascinating to me about how people in the country or around the world you know, create works of art to express things, you know, just like someone uh, would write a, a book or create a song or, you know, theatrical. I'm proud to say I'm, I'm a big supporter of, the, of Higher Ground that has been driven to a wonderful place by Robert Geip, who's a good friend. It's tough sometimes when you're thinking about survival to think about culture, I guess. In fact, I've been on some big art boards, and when I was a bit younger, I I would I would really struggle with the way the conversations in those meetings would go because I was like, well, you know, there's 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 people worried about their next meal and we're over here trying to figure out how to add, you know, a new wing to an art museum. But the reality is you gotta you gotta spend some time and energy on on culture because you gotta preserve it. Uh, you gotta keep the history of it. And then you gotta introduce people that, you know, that are in different communities of things that might be maybe they don't see every day because it sparks the conversation, it sparks sparks thought. It also support, supports creatives that, you know, are thinking, hey, I may want to do this. It introduces uh, creatives to, and we're all creatives, hopefully, but it introduces those that have some talent to think about how things are created and how they can get, you know, kind of a thought or a feeling or a message across. I started to kind of study some of these places like uh, how, you know, Marfa in Texas, which is just a small desert town on the Mexican border. I mean, how did that turn into some kind of an art destination? And out of that, a lot of, you know, people started to come there for tourism and hospitality, even though it's a tough place to get to. It's, it's a lot easier to get to Eastern Kentucky than Marfa, Texas, and actually a lot prettier. Uh, well, I like Marfa. And then I started looking at places like Storm King up in New York, which is a big, uh, you know, sculpture park out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, what happens is the, the local communities there, it, it's this great gift for them to be introduced to these things. Uh, and it's been a great gift for me to learn about art. And then out of that, folks come and they, they see these unexpected things, this, these creative pieces of work in areas that aren't quite as expected, like, you know, some art gallery or museum in a big city. And in the process, they start to fall in love with the area and the region and all the other things that are great, like the, the natural landscape and the things that you can do. I traveled a bit. I went to Dusseldorf, Germany and looked at a place called Insel Homburg, which was an old NATO air station that was turned into an art installation, an architectural kind of a, a place. And that's, you know, you look at the economic impact of these things on these regions and, you know, there's some growing pains, don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, it's a pretty beautiful thing. And so I thought, well, my God, uh, why not in Eastern Kentucky um, and all these, these, all these mines that I've bonded for these, these, these coal companies over the years that have many of them have filed bankruptcy and, and, you know, they're actually liabilities. Let's turn them into assets. Let's figure out, you know, how to, um, to take a mine site and, and, and create a destination. So as it relates to somewhere Appalachia, the name actually kind of came from, uh, we were looking at some stuff down in Bell County, and uh, but there was a bridge down there to like an industrial park that also kind of went over a gorge and connected to some coal sites. And uh, they called this bridge the bridge to nowhere when it was built uh, because nothing really happened on the other side of it. So I thought, well, heck, what about somewhere Appalachia? There's some stuff going on in Bell County right now. It's really interesting with uh, Boone's Ridge. But um, my concept is this somewhere Appalachia, 
what happened to me, and again, if you'll just bear with the ramble here, I could catch a breath. You could get a question in, but but to, to stay focused on this, I was up in uh, I was up in New York, kind of running around with these investment bankers up there at my long hair, and they were looking at me like I was absolutely crazy, which they're half right. And so I went into a big art gallery, and I saw this piece of work uh, called Cripplewood by this Belgian artist named uh, Berlinda de Brecker, and I I think that's how she says her name. And and so it was this huge sculptural piece that looked like an enormous fallen tree with a big root bulb on it. Uh, but then as you looked a bit closer to it, it had the, 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 the branches and the stalks of the tree had elements of you know, human characteristics like bones and flesh and some tattered cloth. And so it was this really intense, enormous piece. It comes in like, I don't know how many shipping containers. It's like 75 feet long. Uh, and it was placed in this room that was dimly lit. And it was this sensation of walking in and seeing this that was, it was very intense. And when I saw it, it moved me and I thought, well, whoa, this is kind of the combination and the challenge between nature and man. And, and then when you talk to the artist, she talks about the piece representing rebirth. Uh, and so I was so moved by it. I was just like, wow. And this was her marquee piece. It was in the Venice Biennale museums were, fi were fighting for it. And a friend of mine who can speak, you know, art speak, I said, look, get on a plane, go over to Belgium and sit down with this gal and say, hey, there's this guy over in, in Kentucky that would really like to, to get his hands around that piece of work, kind of be the steward of it for a second. Uh, you know, give me a payment plan because the sucker wasn't, wasn't uh, cheap. And uh, let's get this thing and bring it to Eastern Kentucky and put it in a pavilion on an old mine site is kind of the first stake in the ground. And maybe we can get some art and other conversations started around it. So um, he went over there and then she decided to come to Eastern Kentucky. And she's actually been over uh, several times. And she looked at me in her kind of Belgian accent and said, Brooke, uh, this is the only place that Cripplewood can be. So it was, a, it was this really emotional type of thing. So that's tough to translate, though, to somebody that's worried about their kids um, eating the next day or a job or, you know, their brother who's just um, dealing with the, the, just the tragedy of this opioid crisis. The reality is the work we've done with the Appalachian Impact Fund, I think, was a great foundation. And, you know, I'm not trying to be the guy that says, hey, I saw this crazy cool ass piece of artwork and Eastern Kentucky needs it to change their future. That's a bunch of bullshit. The reality is this thing is it's known internationally. It does have to me elements that relate to the region and everybody that I kind of went through the conversation with and that did a little, you know, research on it. Uh, they were like, you know, uh, we, we, we get it. Uh, it's a little out there and there's going to be a lot of people that don't, but um, you know, why not? You've seen these places or our places that pop up that become art installations. So uh, we'll catch a breath, but I actually teamed up with the University of Kentucky's architectural school and their uh, undergrad and some of their grad students right before COVID did a lot of work on, hey, what if we put this pavilion in Eastern Kentucky with this piece of artwork in it? They they did all these, you know, what what ifs and, and we could design it this way. And uh, they got a lot of international attention. There was a a couple big architecture firms that teamed up with the students. Their work actually was on display or is going to be on display in a postponed architectural Venice Biennale. And so what happened was it created a lot of conversation and it was kind of headed towards somewhere maybe in Bell County. And then most recently, and I'll wrap this up, on some of the old mine sites in Martin County over near Inez, 
I know some folks that, that you know, kind of inherited some coal mines. Uh, they were some guys and gals that wrote reclamation bonds and the, you know, there were some bankruptcies. And so all these properties were there. And you may have heard about this, this thing called Appalachia, where basically um, there's been hundreds of apple trees planted on some old mine sites in Martin County. The soil is perfect for their growth. They teamed up with experts in the industry from Michigan and they are planting apples. They're gonna develop a processing plant uh, to process and it's gonna create jobs. And people that have a couple acres, just like with tobacco in the old days, are gonna be able to actually, if they want to, grow small orchards and bring those apples and sell them to the processing facility. And they're gonna be probably some of the best apples in the country. So then I started to think, well, wait a minute, hold on, this could be the perfect fit. Got this big, huge tree, for lack of a better word, with human elements that we can put in a pavilion right on this apple orchard. You know, the thing about Martin County and really throughout Eastern Kentucky is the roads are good. There's an airport there. The city of Inez is nice and can handle, you know, some capacity. So if you ask me about this, there's a lot happening that relates to this particular piece of work, Cripplewood, activating somewhere Appalachia in a pavilion that will be designed actually by this uh, green architect. And we're going to put this thing probably within the next year, 18 months on this old mine site in conjunction with these apple orchards. And it's going to be a mind bender. There's no question about it. And that's going to create conversation. People around the world are going to go, what in the hell is going on? And they're going to find their way to the region. And when they do, they're going to say, this is gorgeous. I mean, what am I missing down here? Uh, and hopefully, you know, with hospitality, conversation, tourism, the bigger goal is to create, because there's a bunch of empty buildings there, to bring, you know, art from around the world there and then bring people that want to see art from around the world while integrating it in with the creatives of the region, the schools and everything else and try to mash this together kind of the way it's been done by example other places. So there's a hell of a ramble for you about that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, what a, a great description of, of where it's going. Obviously, as, as former Bell Countyans, I was really hoping you were going to say you, you you turn things around and you're going to put it in Bell County. No, no, there's going to be something in Bell County without okay. question. Yeah, we, we failed to mention both of us. We grew up in Pineville. That's where we were originally. Oh, from. yeah. Well, Pineville is great. I mean, and that city's ripe for um, just kind of what I described. I mean, it's it's probably about the beautiful section of the Appalachian, southeastern Kentucky Hills. And I'm not just blowing smoke up your butts, but I mean, the way the land lays there with Pine Mountain State Park and the views. Uh, it is absolutely gorgeous and you will at, no question there will be because we need again we need to have these little fires that create this glow and why not run down you know the roads and go through hazard in the small towns so that the whole region ultimately benefits I mean I'm going to make it uh, a lot of my life's work from here to see that, that that I work with the right folks to make that kind of stuff happen the right way and I'm sure I'll make some missteps and there'll be people that'll tell me I'm a fool but you know I, I don't I'm not afraid to uh, be foolish to try to make something happen. And, and I started laughing at myself in middle school. So I don't care if people laugh at me. <laughs> I, I like how you say, why not? How it's a moonshot. Like, why not? Why can't Appalachia think big? I mean, that's what we should be doing. Why not Appalachia? Just like at Park, no you know, they thought big and look where it is yeah. today. No question. One question we ask all our guests, we've already said you're, you're originally from Louisville, but you have this connection to Eastern Kentucky, especially the reason why we ask this is this this podcast is really grounded on place and perspective. And we know that you, the Appalachian Impact Fund is a place-based uh, impact fund and, and kind of like 
that we wanted to ask you where you call home and what, what kind of, and it doesn't have to be one place, but where do you call home and what makes it unique to you? I don't know. I'd like to think I'm at home wherever I am, to be honest, because I do move around a lot. There's been times where my wife and family have been like, you know, are you going to be at home? <laughs> but I've always tried to explain to them that, you know, that there's bigger picture sometimes than just to be in be at home I mean you know my heart's at home the heart's with my family I don't know I, I just I feel at home with with anybody that I'm around or wherever I am you know, kind of a corny answer I guess but um I do feel at home in eastern Kentucky I, I feel you know happy when I'm walking down the, uh, the streets of Corbin or I'm in Hazard or uh, Pikeville just about anywhere I'm running around I'd like to think I'm home by surrounding myself with people that feel like family to me you know, my home, my physical home, the place I spend probably more nights than anywhere else is, you know, here in Louisville. And it's it's actually uh, near Oaks Grove, which was the, the home of George Rogers Clark that founded the city of Louisville. So I feel I feel at home when I'm outside. I feel at home when I'm in my yard, but maybe not looking at my house, looking out of my yard. How's that? That's a great answer. And, and, and like I said, there's not a right answer, not a wrong answer. I, I, I felt like that was right on point. Um, I like to eat, so I feel pretty homey when I have a good uh, bunch of food in front of me, especially <laughs> if it's uh, regional-centric, like, you know, whatever it might be. I loved it when you were talking about going to the different cities and, and you were always trying to find a place to plug yourself in and get a good meal, so. Yeah, oh, no, no question. If you're, ever, if, you're ever, if you're ever in London again, we know a good kitchen where you can get some good eats. Okay, well, good. I'm planning on being there, so don't offer that again. <laughs> um, well, we won't be here, but I'm yeah. always here. So. Well, yeah, thing, yeah, I got it. <laughs> one of the things I did want to ask you, I know, like I said, you got your, you, you wear a lot of hats, you got your hands in a lot of different things, but I, I know one of those things is, is Castle and Key. Do you have a, you have a favorite bourbon or is Castle and Key your favorite? Well, I'll, I'll, answer that. Say, I'll answer that the same way the home question. My favorite <laughs> bourbon is the last ones in my glass, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine there's hardly any that I don't like. There's probably some I like more than others. And I would never say I'm an aficionado of anything. Yeah. I mean, that's another place that's uh, so historic and amazing. You know, I, I became a, a funding kind of financial partner of the two guys that uh, uh, Will Arvin in particular that bought it and, and Wes Murray, who's no longer a partner in the project, but he, he, he did a lot of good work. You know, Will's driven by history um, not just by something, you know, that how can we make a buck or can we build this thing up and flip it to somebody? And I respect that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's enchanting that place. It's like the Willy Wonka bourbon. If you haven't been there, it's awesome. In fact, um, not to plug it really, but Travel and Leisure picked it the best single distillery destination in the United States, if you didn't know that, which is pretty damn cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you go there, you'll see why. But then there's all kinds of other places in and around, I guess, the Bourbon Trail that are equally as interesting and cool. So um, I do like bourbon. I do like red wine. And I told you I like food. So um, as, uh, as a couple couple Kentucky boys, we had to ask you that question. There's a lot of good bourbons out there. I mean, I, I really like uh, what Peerless is doing here in Louisville. Uh, they kind of have a sweet mash, which is interesting. The rye and bourbons are incredible. You know, there's, there's a number of them, like even up in Maysville, that old Pogue. You know, it's a great product. It's an eight-year uh, bourbon. It's it's just easy to drink. It, the branding's simple. You know, those are the kinds of things that you want to kind of, you know, find your way to. But, heck, you can get, um, you know, an Evan Williams uh, single barrel or a small batch. And there's just, there's, it's all around us. And that's something that, you know, we really need to think about. And quite honestly, there should be more outposts in eastern Kentucky. I mean, I mean how many daggone stills were uh, in those hills over the years? 
And, you know, if, if there is a destination that takes shape in and around some of these things I'm talking about, you know, it would be great for all these big distilleries and small to have like outposts, uh, not kiosks, but, you know, places where, you know, someone that visits Eastern Kentucky can kind of go and almost be like surrounded by all these different places and then bring in different distillers and build fire pits and outdoor areas where people can sit around and talk about stuff. So I, I, I think if we just let you ramble, we'd get, we'd have a lot more ideas on the table. No, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a curse. I'm so sorry. Neil and I definitely want to thank you for being on the show and we appreciate all the work you're doing, all the work you're doing in Eastern Kentucky and all the work you're, work you're going to be doing going forward. Uh, it's definitely an honor and a pleasure to have you on. No honor, and it's completely my pleasure. So we'll have a bourbon together sometime. We'll talk more about it. But uh, you. what you guys are doing is important, uh, and that's why I'm here. And so uh, your voice becomes the voice of so many, so keep it up. Appreciate it. Yep. Y'all have a great night. All right. You too. You too, man. Thanks. So, Will, man, I mean, Brooke Smith, what an interesting, just cool guy doing some really cool stuff for Eastern Kentucky and Appalachia. I know our listeners couldn't see him. Just, we have the luxury of, of being able to, to see our guests, but, man, I'm digging Brooke Smith's look right now. I, I, I may go for that in the coming years. He mentioned his hair a couple of times, and I'm yeah. kind of jealous that I got mine cut. Yeah, no, you you did have a good flow going, but he's definitely got more gray than I have right now, but I'm pretty sure I'm on that path. So <laughs> I think he makes it look cool. Definitely. Man, dude's into everything, though, and constantly trying to help others, which is what I admire the most. I mean, obviously, he's he's kind of made it. You know, he didn't harp on that a whole lot, but he – uh is got it got a hand in or involvement in a lot of different things which that that he's made into successful ventures you know i mean it's easy to have a lot of different things going on or be involved in a lot of different things but it seems like most of his kind of like those people you talk about everything they touch turns to gold i mean he i think brooke might be one yeah i i have really appreciated his his genuine passion for for the mountains you you yeah. could you could tell it coming through you could see how how much he appreciated the region and how much he wanted to see the region be successful prosper in, in yeah. every way i mean he's definitely a little kid that i that i would adopt down here i mean us kentuckians sometimes rag on louisville people but... i think we spoke to a guest a couple episodes ago that said you know you could be in Appalachia for your whole life or you could be in Appalachia for a couple of days and you can still be Appalachian. I think yeah. Brooke Smith is definitely Appalachian. Oh yeah, for sure, man. For sure. So the Appalachian impact fund for those that don't know, you can, you know, you can check it out online. Yeah. The foundation for Appalachia, Kentucky is where it's housed. You can, you can definitely check them out to, to find out all the amazing work that they're doing and that the Appalachian impact fund is doing be looking out for that. Somewhere Appalachia is about to be major news. You know, I know we weren't the first to to enlighten people, but uh, hopefully uh, those listeners that we have will stay tuned in to Somewhere Appalachia as it continues to grow. And Somewhere Appalachia is a really cool, inspiring idea that that Brooks doing. I talked about I, I talked about this a couple episodes ago. You know, with uh, 
one of our other guests, but you got to be a doer, man. You got to, you got to follow through on things. And Brooks, a guy that doesn't, doesn't let, doesn't let a, a, a dead horse, dead horse rest. <laughs> Is that the saying? Yeah. Yeah. I, ideas are just ideas until you do them. Right. He puts the pencil, the paper, and then completes the, the exam. So, uh, lots of respect from me. Uh, I, I think we can get into of place tonight. You, you have anything tonight for of place? Yeah. You know, I kind of talked about it in the beginning, really. I mean, I just don't know if you could go any other place. I mean, I guess you could. I mean, but it just seems like a perfect area to to kind of do life the the way I'm doing it right now with the the chickens on the farm. <laughs> I mentioned the chickens earlier, but you know, it's a lot of that goes on in Appalachia. Farm to table is big deal right now and no better place than in Appalachia. I don't I don't really have anything in particular, but that's just kind of on the top of my mind since we've already talked about it. Um, how about you? You got? I don't. I just kind of piggyback off that. You know, I think we've heard a guest say this before, but I've uh, living in D.C. I, I, when I was living there, urban farming was a was a big deal, and uh, people there were trying to get chickens. and And I would talk to some people in Anacostia, you know, what they refer to as across the river in D.C., which D.C. is kind of two cities in one there's the dc that everybody knows and then there's across the river but but some of the people that i talked to that were from dc and lived in dc and remembered dc back in the day remember having chickens in their front yard and the similarities between the inner city of dc and some of appalachia is just just kind of blows my mind sometimes we always think about the differences and kind of focus on the differences but there are so many similarities and and what we believe in Appalachia, what our culture, our history in Appalachia and what the ties and the culture that other places have, especially in the inner city or other areas like that. I just kind of wanted to mention that and bring bring uh, it all full circle. Yeah, there, there's something to be learned from uh, a good uh, egg from a chicken in your backyard and, and uh, one of his buddies that woke you up <laughs> that morning. You know, <laughs> I think there's. Definitely, there's either a moral there or definitely something to be learned. Something to be learned. I don't know quite (laughs) what yet, but yeah, definitely something there. Uh, I'm open. I'm open. we learned something from it. (laughs) Again, we want to thank Brooke Smith for being on the show, on the episode. We, we, We greatly appreciate his time and greatly appreciate the things, the ideas that he has and the things that he and the Foundation for Appalachia, Kentucky are doing for the region. Yep. Somewhere Appalachia. I can't wait. Like I always say, uh, till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long. Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong In the mountains